First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Welcome to Apple Turnover for April 14th, 2023. My name is Brian, and the Mets had off yesterday, which means the Mets did not lose a game. They also didn't win a game. Everything was fine in Metsville for one day. The Mets are currently in Oakland, California, where they are going to start a three-game series with the A's. And to celebrate that, I had Dan Connolly, one of the hosts of Oaktown Boys, part of the OBP Network here on Fans for Sports Network, on the show to talk about the series. So let's get right to that. Um, as always, go to patreon.com slash applesauce for more information about the Mets and to join our Patreon, which helps support the podcast that you uh, listen to directly. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go Mets. All right. I am joined this morning by Dan Connolly from the OBP Podcast Network, specifically from the Oaktown Boys show. Dan, thank you for making the time today to talk Mets and athletics. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be on. So how? let's do a vibe check here. How, how are you feeling about the A's at this point in the season? Um, it's early. That's all. That's I open up with that all the time. It's early. Um, <laughs> we cannot pitch at all so far. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was uh, a little bit. It's a little bit worse than I thought it would be, but uh, not not appreciably worse than I thought it would be up to this point. Um, Fair. Some glimmers of hope. So, you know, I, uh, fortunately, you know, I, Corey and I have talked about this a little bit. That's my co-host. Um, and, uh, you can't, you can't make the playoffs in April, but you can kind of play yourself out of the playoffs in April. If you, <laughs> if you really try. And, um, I just hope we don't do that. 
because I think we're two and nine right now, which is not ideal. Um, but th- some signs of life, some young guys looking okay. So, uh, you know, um, enduring, I would say. Uh, Tampa Bay might have some exception with you can't make the playoffs in April because they're uh... <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Up until this year, you couldn't make the playoffs in April, but the Rays are trying. The Rays are really trying. Yeah. And I mean, they, I mean, we're, we're obviously, uh, figuring some things out still, but they absolutely steamrolled us. I mean, that is uh, one of the better constructed teams I've seen, at least at, at least at like first glance, they mm-hmm. are just incredible. You know, I mean, they just, uh, everyone understands their roles. Everyone is really good at their roles and they have a couple stars, you know, like uh, I, I think I say people, but I'm probably talking about me um, kind of forgot how good Wander Franco was. Because he was, yeah. you know, kind of banged up a little bit last year, and he is incredible. He is so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, as an A's fan, I'm not feeling as good as if I was a Rays fan right now. Well, no one is feeling as good as a Rays fan right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but so I, I do want to talk about the pitching matchups uh, for this weekend's A's Mets series in a minute. But I want to sort of sort of start off just by saying it's a bummer. They're going to miss it by one day. It would have been very cool if there was a Senga-Fujinami matchup. It would be but very cool. I know that the Mets are really trying to get Senga on this five-day rotation thing that he was not doing in Japan. And the yeah. A's have the exact opposite approach yeah. where they are trying. to. I think it's just Saturdays, right, that he's yeah. pitching? Yeah, I mean, I think some sort of hybrid between every six day and Saturdays, you know, like it's uh, – well, kind of however it falls, but he is, uh, Senga's looking a little bit more comfortable so far, I would say. Um, whatever their Mets are doing is working better than what the A's are doing so far with their uh, with their new pitchers. So, um, but that would have been very cool. It, it would have been just, you know, because, I, you know, for so long, we've had a couple of Japanese players here and there popping up, but it seems like this year, there's just this confluence of I don't know if it was the World Baseball Classic playing into it. Also, it just feels like right now the W, um, the NPB and the MLB have a lot going on together, and yes. so it would have been cool for the sport to see that matchup. Um, but maybe next season. Well, and it's also been really cool to see the guys that have come over and how good they've been. And I mean, speaking about the WBC, um, they're not the only one. I mean, it is turning into quite a pipeline. I mean, there were at least three or four more guys on that Japan team, Roku Sasaki, not least of all at all, that are going to be playing in the MLB in the next few years and are probably going to be stars. You know, I mean, it is, uh, that is a good team. That was a great team, yes. So let's talk about Fujinami for a second. Um, He's made, is it two starts so far just, right? I think he's made two, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the ERA is not pretty, but, it's it's April. This happens. How has he looked in terms of just his stuff so far? The movement on everything is incredible. You know, I mean, he is it's 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 crazy to see some of the pitches that he throws. But, you know, I he, he also was having a hard time throwing him in the strike zone. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, I think his last start was four walks and one K and I think he struck out more than that his first start maybe five or six but also walked four or five and uh we are not we're not in a position to bail him out right now if he puts a bunch of people on base um and that's not necessarily his fault 
But um, I think if, you know, if he's going to walk like four or five people a game, he's going to pay for it pretty dearly, unfortunately. Um, but in terms of just straight stuff, he's, I mean, he's as good as anyone we have for sure. If not the best mm-hmm. that we have in terms of like just junk. Um, so, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it, honestly, like, cause he, he's, you know, it's, it's interesting when your team's not playing well, it feels like everybody's getting squeezed, you know? And especially his last start, there were probably at least three or four batters that could have gone a different way. Um, So I think he's just kind of figuring it out, too. Also, it's a huge adjustment. You know, I mean, he's playing in a completely league. So I think for right now, I'm mostly just excited that he is. The stuff looks good. Yeah, you know, I expected and this is not me trying to dunk on the Mets having the the more accomplished pitcher at this point. I expected Senga to struggle more early on than he has you know he has he's made uh three starts already i'm sorry two starts i'll make this this third start will be this uh this weekend Mm. uh both starts have looked really really good you know his first he let the first four batters he faced in the majors reach base yeah and um it looked like oh no this is going to be rough and then he he just he settled in and that's that seems to be the senga thing right now is just that if he can get comfortable He's he's looking really good. That the ghost fork has been a really fun pitch to watch. And um yeah, I mean I, I love watching different types of pitching. And so the Japanese guys that come over always really excite me because they're always considerably different pitchers than what we get out of the States. Well, and I um, mean just the amount of pitches that these these dudes throw, you know, like yes. the amount of pitches that they command, you know. Like it's yes. not like they just have them. They're like a good majority of them are plus pitches, at least, you know, like yeah. they're comfortable with them. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things that has me optimistic about Fujinami is I believe in both starts for two innings, he's looked completely unhittable. And then the wheels kind of come off and then they really come off. Um, right. And, you know, hopefully that's not a trend, but it does. It's not hard to imagine him getting through five or six without much issue because he's I've seen him get six, seven people out in a row pretty easily. Sure. So, um, you know, just like damage control. And I think damage control is a bit, is a problem that we're that every single pitcher on the A's is happening right now. So, mm-hmm. um, but Senga, it's, it's interesting how they're kind of in, you know, Senga has a little bit of trouble settling in, but then once he settles in, he's tough as nails. Yeah. And Fuji seems to settle in pretty quickly, but when he loses it, he loses it quickly. Um, it- so they're just it it does it is interesting though because it is a different approach to pitching. Yeah. You no, know, I mean it's definitely not throw as hard as you can, throw the hardest fastball you possibly can, and then throw the hardest breaking ball you possibly can and go back and forth between those two. It's a lot more kind of artful, I guess, than that. And it it's cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the way that the pitching lineups are matching up this weekend. The the biggest discrepancy right now in terms of performance is the Friday night matchup, which is Senga versus James Caprellian. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, Caprellian is not is not looked terrible so far this season, but he's you know he is struggling as well. Um, and we talked about Senga already. Uh, what what's your scouting report on Caprellian for Mets fans who haven't seen him pitch? Maybe. Um, well, he. I've been really high on Caprillion for a while. Um, he came over from the Yankees in the Sunny Gray trade. Um, was basically like a big piece of the Sunny Gray trade. Um, and mainly, I would say his issue is just kind of staying healthy. You know, he seems to he seems to have an oblique strain every year at some point. Um, but when he's on, 
he's pretty good. You know, I mean, he's kind of a bulldog. You know, I mean, there, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not overpowering. He doesn't have a huge, he doesn't have a go-to strikeout pitch. But when he's on and when he's when he's painting, he's tough. You know, he throws hard. Pretty, he throws 94, 95, usually locates it pretty well. Um, he, you know, again, you don't want your art. You would, you don't want your ERA to be 11 and a half. Um, but I don't think, I think he'll, I think he'll probably put on a better performance than that on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's looked kind of okay. You know, it's been a little bit of, he's made a couple mistakes and they have been absolutely parked. Uh, in in both starts this year, so mm-hmm. maybe if he gets a little bit a little bit luckier, throws a few a few less bad pitches, um, then maybe that area will come down. But Seng is a tough matchup, you know. That's yeah. uh, I don't I don't think that's probably the guy he wants to see across the field right now. But um, Caprillion's tough. Caprillion, when he's on, he can be very tough. The Saturday matchup is is. Very evenly matched, which is uh, Fujinami and Carlos Carrasco, who has not looked himself at all this season. Um, Carrasco won 15 games last year. I know we all know pitching wins are not the best metric for success, but to win 15 games, you got to keep your team in at least 15 games, typically. And, uh, you know, Carrasco looked better last season than he did in 21. And he, you know, there was there was the pandemic shortened season and then he was battling cancer. So he has not had a regular season beyond before last year in a couple of years but this year he just looks absolutely lost he's given up three home runs already again an era at 11 and a half a 9.17 fip you know almost two batters uh almost a two whip you know just just a really really rough start to the season um sounds like so I, for the a's <laughs> 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 um but you know unlike someone like fujinami who you think you know has the potential to really put it together like that, I don't know if Carrasco is going to have that same ability. Yeah. I mean, I, it has been, it's been, it's been a little bit of a struggle kind of for, I, Corey and I were talking about this off, uh, not on one of the podcasts, but I, I, we saw someone mention on Twitter that they think the balls are juiced again. And uh, I don't, I can't say definitively. I mean, it'll take me a couple weeks, I think to to really like form a, a strong opinion about that. But, I have seen some balls fly out this year that did not fly out last year. Um, and, you know, that's guys that exist kind of on a thinner margin with the, you know, like fly ball pitchers kind of in general, um, yep. real bad news for them, if that's true. And so I think you, it may just be an adjustment period for some of these guys, if it is a different baseball and if it is playing differently, you know? Um, but I, you know, I, Carlos Carrasco has been, He's been pretty consistently good when he's been healthy. So I think, you know, maybe just knocking some rust off. Um, I mean, I'm not excited to face him. I'll tell you that much. He's he seems to always pitch pretty well whenever he's playing whenever he's pitching against us. So um, I, I, I think you might be pleasantly surprised this season for how you how the A's do. <laughs> well, that would be good. some good news. We're we're short on good news right now. So that would be some good news, actually. <laughs> uh and then the final matchup of the uh of the series sees Max Scherzer who had a great start, a terrible start, and then an okay start against J.P. Sears. Um, I think a lot of Mets fans probably don't know too much about Sears. You know, he he pitched uh, for both the Yankees and the A's last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I... You know, he, everything I have read about him makes him sound like a promising prospect, but I don't know if that's just the... Um, the former Yankee shine on the New York 
papers, right? Or if or if you think that he's a he's a prospect waiting to to really turn into something special. I think um, I believe in him. I think he's. I probably. I'm. I'm not envisioning like a future number one, but I think he can probably be a pretty good number at his best. Probably pretty good number three. And he, mm-hmm. JP Sears, not super similar to someone maybe like Cole Irvin. I think he's got a little bit more upside than someone like Cole Irvin. But a lot of these guys, and I, you know, obviously I'm not plugged into the A's front office or anything. But I think they <laughs> look at some of these guys and they say. They look at the Coliseum. They look at how the Coliseum plays. And some of these guys' pitching profiles play incredibly well at the Coliseum um, in a way that they probably wouldn't play very well at Yankee Stadium sure. or, you know, Great America Ballpark or something like that. So I think um, J.P. Sears as an A in Oakland, very, very good. Um, potentially very, very good. Um, you know, J.P. Sears, um, if this was in New York, I may not be feeling quite so good, but he, when he, when he's pitched in Oakland, he's looked pretty good. Um, doesn't throw super hard, uh, mid, mid, low nineties, but locates mm-hmm. pretty well, um, pounds the strike zone. So, you know, I mean, if he's got his stuff working, he could be pretty good. And he is definitely a, a pitcher that I have seen in his short time here, take a lot of advantage of those extra outs that the foul area, foul territory gives you in Oakland sometimes. But that's what um, so, you know, smart smart teams assemble their teams somewhat based on their home ballpark. And I think that's a, kind of a lot of these guys. I think maybe more than rotations from the past few years, where we're kind of relying on that, which is a dangerous game to play because if they don't <laughs> hit the ball in the foul territory, then it's trouble. Um, but uh, he has, and he's looked okay this year. He um, there have been a number of games this year where there were maybe two plays that didn't get called, didn't get marked down as errors that were pretty clearly errors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if I remember correctly, he was, he got victimized by that pretty badly to the tune of maybe like three earned runs in a start that probably oh, wow. shouldn't have been okay. earned runs. Um, so mm-hmm. he's, he's close to six, but I think he's probably should be more in the fours and I feel pretty good about him. Um, I, we'll see. I mean, it's uh, we're relying on a lot of young lefties right now, so we'll see how that goes. But I feel of I would say of the three matchups, um, that might be the one that I feel the best about in terms of our pitcher going. Now, obviously, okay. it's not great to be facing Scherzer, um, but in terms of the pitcher that we're throwing out there, I mean, if Fuji's on, then I feel pretty good about him. But I mm-hmm. really like what I've seen from JP Sears, so I'm feeling pretty optimistic about that. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, you know, 
Oakland has had a reputation for, I mean, for many years now of having just, you know, incredibly smart front office. And, you know, we've all read and seen Moneyball. We're aware of all of that. What do you think characterizes the Oakland front office today? Like, what is, what are they doing really well today that you don't think other teams are doing as well? Where are they on the bleeding edge? I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Brent Rooker. Brent Rooker is now homered three times in his last two games. And um, just kind of those post-hype kind of breakout candidates. You know, I mean, it seems like, especially if a guy's a first-round pick, if he gets to like 25, 26, there are a number of teams that are out on him. You know, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Um, and you, we seem to have a little bit of a longer leash for those guys. And, uh, you know, we have a couple, I mean, as I said, Brent, Brent Ricker is looking pretty good. We got Ryan Noda in the Rule 5 draft from the Dodgers. And he's looked like a starting first baseman. You know, I mean, I don't think he's going to win an MVP. He's probably not going to be an all-star. But, I mean, he is – we got Mark Hanna in the Rule 5 draft in 2017, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, steadily watched him turn into a very, very good baseball player, yeah. uh, major league baseball player. And I Ryan Nota feels similar to that. Um, now, I think that may be a little bit less um, – well, some part of it is talent identification by the front office but also part of that is ryan nota being blocked at first by freddie freeman in in la so it worked out nicely um but i think just kind of and we have more recently they seem to have focused a little bit more on building up the farm system and it's not i don't think it's where they're gonna where they want to be but i think you know the sean murphy trade was lambasted pretty hard um and understandably at this point honestly but um you know i Estre Ruiz is looking pretty good in in the short amount of time that we've had with him. Um, and also when if the front office has made it pretty clear that they're not going to invest heavy money until we have a new ballpark. Wherever everybody lies on that. That's a conversation for a different podcast. But um, you kind of have to balance between seeing, analyzing what you have and seeing what you can get. And I think part of part of being comfortable trading Sean Murphy was having Shay Langliers. Mm-hmm. And so I think one thing that I have always appreciated since I've been really heavily following the A's, I have appreciated their almost like cold calculating approach to not investing too much money in people. You know, the A's may not give people contracts frequently enough, but they are never going to get caught in an Albert Pujols contract. You know, they're, right. they're never going to be, there's never going to be six years of sunk cost with someone making $30 million a year in Oakland, because it just doesn't, even if the revenue, even if the cash flow from ownership was there, they still, I don't think they'd still be, I mean, I, my ideal situation is like the Wanda Franco and Ozzy Albies contracts. Like I would want, I, if I, if they were giving out deals, I'd want them to be giving out those deals, but I've always appreciated that they don't, they don't get too attached to players and then hamstring themselves five years down the line. Um, which, you know, maybe sometimes it would be great to hand out fat contracts, but you know, we, it allows us to reload quickly. Right. I mean, I, you know, I was just in preparation for this. I was looking at sort of the last 10 years of the A's and the A's have only not finished in the top three in the division four times in the last 10 years. And so, you know, you had three rough years, 15, 16, 17, but then second place, second place, first place, third place. Yeah. That you know that that's 
that that there are lots of teams that just don't reload that way. Um, that said, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a Mets fan, so it always comes back to a couple of key players for me. But like, you know, David Wright was such a key, important part of this franchise. We were able to keep him until his last day as, as a major league player cost us, you know, financially. But the team, you know, there is something to be said for those. I mean, like, I mean, people like, you know, Stephen Vogt, the last the end of the season last year was incredible. Yeah. But that probably would have felt even more incredible had he been an A for his whole career. Totally. Right. So there, there, I, I, there's a trade off there. But in terms of baseball, I think it's very hard to argue with what you're talking about. I think it's just from like the emotional fandom part of it, it can be a little bit rough sometimes. Well, and it is also just me coping. You know, I mean, this, this is just this, this is the piece that we have found with the approach. And as, um, you know, as little attention as they seem to pay to loyalty, it, it does work to a certain point. You know, I mean, it's there. The results, I don't know, since maybe 2000 kind of speak for themselves. I mean, we we are never down for long when we're down. Right. And we seem to be able to sustain success for periods of time when we find it. Um, so, I mean, all, all of this, I mean, I imagine how much success we would be having if we actually invested in the team. But again, that's a separate conversation. Um, but I mean, really, there have only been. There have only been a couple of people that I really would have been comfortable giving a huge. I mean, I, I, if we were going to pay, I probably would have paid Matt Olson. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Matt Olson's pretty special. Yep. Um, Liam Hendricks, I would have, I would have been very okay giving Liam Hendricks whatever kind of ridiculous deal for a reliever is. Um, but you know, other other people, it's it's tough. It, you know, I mean, people can be really, really. I mean, Jed Lowry. You know, Jed Lowry went from being an all-star and i mean i pushing for a silver slugger a couple of those years at second base Mm -hmm. to i mean he played what 20 games for you guys if that if you even want to call him playing i mean he you know it's it's it is so it's so fickle and health is so like guys can just disappear yep Mm -hmm. um so you know obviously as with most things like the truth lies somewhere between the two things of course of course uh, We've hung in there pretty well, and it, you know, I mean, if the A's were never good, I wouldn't be this into them. You know, like they're, sure. you can't watch consistently bad baseball and still care a lot. So, I, um, I mean, I, I became a Mets fan in the '90s. I can, I can, I can attest to bad baseball for a while. It's, it's <laughs> so. it, because I, I guess not, not, not care, but it's, uh, it's tough to watch bad baseball every day. It you is, know, yes. Like, when you, you, if you identify your team as bad enough you kind of get to the, I'll catch three out of every four games. You know, like, right, I, right. I I can't watch every single one all the way yeah. through. There were um, a couple of seasons I'd be reading a book with the game on in the background, right? Yeah. You know, that's sort of, yeah. sort of And around. I know what's going on, you know, but I don't always have to watch every single second of it all the time because it does <laughs> right. get painful sometimes. Yeah. Now, in terms of players that you're excited about, who is somebody that Mets fans maybe haven't heard of before that we should be looking out for this weekend? Um. Well... I would say first and foremost, Esri Ruiz. Um, he has uh, coming into after after we traded for him. Um, I was a little concerned. Um, he had a massive year in the minors last year. He hit, I think, maybe three thirty five, if not more. Stole eighty five bags. Um, he looks. He's the the grades were out of control in center field. He's an excellent center fielder, but the no power really um kind of small fast guy profile doesn't usually pan out that well 
mm-hmm. you know i mean it's uh it does in circumstances but um usually you need a little bit of pop to kind of make yourself viable and he actually to be fair he has he's hit some balls pretty hard but he is very fast he looks very good in center field and he is kind of starting to shape up like a pretty ideal leadoff guy at at, at his best so keep mm-hmm. an eye on him um ryan noda is playing first mostly he's splitting time with jesus aguilar but i would imagine mostly against righties it's going to be noda um he's a he's a little he's a rookie he's a little bit of an older rookie i think he's 27 and as i said he's a rule five pick but he looks very comfortable um and um one that a name people may know but has bounced back a little bit ramon loriano ramon loriano in 2018 2019 Looked like he was on a trajectory to be maybe our best player. Um, then he had some injuries and he struggled a little bit, but he looks like he's back this year and he is looking pretty good. So I would keep an eye on those three. Do you have any questions about the Mets that I can illuminate for you ahead of the series? Um, are you nothing serious? Are how how concerned are you about the Justin Verlander situation? Uh, moderately concerned. Like here, here's the thing, right? I am 40 years old. Yeah, I know how it hurts when I sleep the wrong way. Yeah, Justin Verlander is 40 years old, but he's a professional athlete, and so you expect him to not be in as bad a shape as I am in in terms of my uh, taking care of my body. But any 40 year old is going to be an injury risk. Yeah, and they signed him knowing that. Um, you know, this does not appear to be a major injury. You know, the imaging that's come back has come back that it's it's looking okay. Mm-hmm. He had said if this was later in the season, he might have played through this. But I have seen enough injuries be called day to day on April 15th, and then in September the players coming back. Yeah. Just because things linger and all of that. The plan right now is that the Mets are about to go on this uh West Coast road trip through uh, you know, for the next almost two weeks. When they get back from that, Verlander is supposed to be back. If that happens, I'm okay with it. Uh, I think this is, you know, the Mets have, they they have, you know, they're also down Jose Quintana, who was supposed to be the back end of their rotation this year. So they have, they've had their number six and number seven on the depth chart starters, David Peterson and Tyler McGill starting for them. Both have looked better than anticipated. They've been keeping them in the games and that's all you can really ask for from these, these depth type pitchers, you know? And so, they're getting by without Verlander for now. I don't know how much longer they can get by without Verlander for, though. That so um, if, if this is a minor injury and he's back, you know, late April, early May, that's, you know, I feel great about that. However, it's whenever there's an injury like this to, you know, to a part of the body that isn't maybe known outside of sports medicine circles, it always scares me a little bit just because, it seems like, you know, I had never heard the word intercostal until uh, all of the oblique injuries started coming out maybe five or seven years ago. And it seemed like everybody had an oblique injury all of a sudden. Yep. And so I just don't want this to turn into one of those situations. But right now I do feel okay about the Verlander situation only because of everything the team and he have been saying. That's fair. And I guess the other thing I'm wondering is do you – how do you feel about Dave Robertson all season? We'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, fine. he's looked good so far. He has looked, I mean, there is no reliever in baseball who is more electric than Edwin Diaz and to lose Diaz the way they lost him is heartbreaking, yeah. but the Mets did a lot of work on their bullpen in the off season. And 
built a really good bridge to Diaz. Now, Diaz isn't at the other side of that bridge anymore, but I still believe in the pieces. You know, Brooks Raley has been very good for the for the Rays in the past. Um, Adam Adovino and David Robertson have long track records of success. Um, the Mets have a couple of young guys, Drew Smith, Steven Nagosik, who I, I am relatively high on. Um, I, I just think that it seems like Robertson and Adovino are going to share the saving duties right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and, and maybe even Brooks Raley getting on that also. And I feel better with those two or three guys sharing it than putting it all on Robertson. Because I think, I think a lot of people do like that established closer pitches every, pitches only in the ninth inning when the lead is there. You know, Josh Hader, right? That kind of mm-hmm. that kind of closer. Um, Edwin but Diaz. I think Edwin Diaz when he's Edwin healthy. Diaz. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Although uh, Diaz last year came in in the eighth inning a couple of times when that was the I, I was actually very impressed with how Buck Showalter was able to leverage him in a couple of times to not give him the save opportunity but get him in there at the at the spot when he was most needed right that makes sense um, right? I just think you can't do that with David Robertson yeah. you you have you have to give him the you have to rest him again this is an old team uh, you know they have a young core you know um, when I say young it's not not like rookie young yeah. but you know francisco lindor pete alonzo jeff mcneil um brandon nimmo that's a that's a solid core to build your team around those guys are all relatively young but on the margins and in the, especially on the mound this is an old old team and so i you know i think you're gonna see a couple different people rack up five to seven saves for the mets over the course of the season i don't think robertson's a guy that makes sense yeah, and he is good in those spots. You know, if you, if you he if, is. if you put him in the right situations, he's good. Yeah, so. you know, and, and I think that a relief pitcher, a veteran relief pitcher, just is is cool under pressure, and that is my biggest fear with some of these younger pitchers is just not having the intestinal fortitude to handle a ninth inning. You know, I don't worry about Robertson with that at all. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he's pitched in New York. It's nice. Yeah, it's, nice I mean, it's nice to have a guy who's pitched in New York and knows that he's not going to get rattled by pitching in New York. I even as a even as a New York sports fan, I somewhat bristle at that. Like I don't know. I, I think there is something to pitching in New York, right? I, I think that. I mean, we have seen enough players come to New York and just wilt that yeah. that is a thing. However, I think it's a bit of an. I I think it's it's something that a player who doesn't want to be here will use it as as ammunition every single time you know um but you know how how many how many papers cover the uh the a's every day uh not not as many as cover cover the mets i would imagine i i I think there are still five or six daily papers that cover the mets every single day yeah and that just isn't the case in most other cities and so you know that's part of it and you know it's it's a big stage but also, when you are a hit in New York, you are you are on top of the world in a way that I don't think that happens in other cities. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That, that um, makes sense. Yeah. So before I let you go, tell folks about your podcast a little bit. Um, we are called Oaktown Boys. Uh, my our specific podcast. It's me and my friend Corey. Um, we've been friends since high school. We've been A's fans since before we met. Um, and we, you know, we definitely don't take ourselves too seriously. But we do love baseball, and we love the A's. Um, we're called Oaktown Boys. The other podcast on the OBP uh, network 
is the town tailgate. Uh, and that's Chris and Julio. Also very cool dudes. Um, been getting to know them since we've linked up and they do very good work. Their podcast is a lot of fun to listen to. Um, and very different shows, but I think shows that complement each other very well. And I think I, what I enjoy is they hearing them talk about the A's reminds me of me and Corey talking about that. You know, they have different conversations, but it's just, you know, there's a, uh, there's a way you watch baseball after being an A's fan for a long time. And I think that's probably true of every team. You know, I mean, you right. watch baseball through the scope of your team, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's very interesting to hear, like, it's a slightly different perspective, but you can tell that they're A's fans. Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even have to be talking about the A's for me to know that they're A's fans. They could be talking about a different team. Um, and it's, I just, they seem like they have a lot of fun with it and we for sure have a lot of fun with it. So, yeah. um, we're just excited, you know, we're excited to get into the year. Hopefully yeah. they win a few more games, but it's, you know, it's exciting. It's fun to do either way. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. And, uh, one of these days I am going to make it out to the Oakland Coliseum. I'm going to have to get some tips from you about, you know, where to sit, what to eat, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you should go to say that you went, <laughs> you should go to <laughs> I have the, family the, in Oakland. The, the, I have family in Oakland. I have to get out there one of these days. So, and it you is, know. you know, I mean, uh, if anything, to see what they put in center field, and then you can look at pictures of what it used to look like, and you can be like, wow, football really didn't do baseball any favors in Oakland. <laughs> nope. Nowhere. N -n -n None of those combo stadiums did anything for anybody, but, you know. No. Um, well, thank you very much. It's been wonderful, man. Yeah, and uh, you know we can uh, we can start being friends again on Monday, I guess. Exactly. Yes, we're we're, we're enemies for a couple days. That's all right. Okay. <laughs>